Would you turn in your Bible, please, to John chapter 5, the fifth chapter of John. John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for the thrill and privilege being in a service like this where the Lord Jesus has been praised in song, in testimony in song, and in the worship of Thy people as we've given back to Thee a portion of what You've given us. Now, Father, we ask you to lift up the fallen. Help us to weep o'er the erring ones. And give us the Spirit of Jesus as the Holy Spirit moves like the wind of heaven across every heart. May we be open to what God would say. Give us the compassion and the care that Jesus had. And may somebody who has never been saved come to Christ and others who are God's people awaken to a new desire to serve Thee and love Thee. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 5, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made well of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made well? The impotent man answered, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, and took up his bed, and walked. And the same day was the Sabbath. Thirty-eight years this impotent man was by that pool. There was an old tradition once a year, an angel would come down and stir the water. Whoever got into that pool first after the stirring of the water would be made well of whatever disease he had. That man for 38 years had waited. He had waited for somebody to care because he was helpless. He couldn't get into the water himself. And every year, when the tradition had it that that angel came and stirred the water, the man with anticipation waited. He looked. Surely this is the year 
Surely this is the time when somebody, somebody will care. But year after year after year, there was nobody to care. Then Jesus came. And all has changed when Jesus comes. Night is turned to day. The hopeless receive hope. And those who have looked on their right hand and on their left and have felt in their hearts, refuge fails me, no man cares for my soul. Find in Jesus somebody who cares. An interesting thing about this story is that Jesus simply ignored the tradition. He didn't discuss it. He didn't say anything about that angel coming and stirring the water. He didn't say anything about the man's hope being in the wrong place. He didn't try to disrupt something, maybe little tiny f f glimmer of a hope the man was holding on to. Jesus simply moved in and said to the man, would you like to be made well? And the man said, Lord, I don't have anybody that cares. I don't have anybody. All the others through the years have had someone to help them into that water, but Lord, I don't have anybody. Ignoring the tradition, saying nothing about the water, Jesus looked at the man and said, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. That very moment, the man, through faith, that was issued from the heart of God through Jesus the Son, rose up, took up his bed and began to walk and was made well. Notice he didn't have to go by the traditions of men. He didn't have to get into that water. He didn't have to do a hundred and one things that we think sometimes people need to do. He simply had to look to Jesus. Beloved Jesus is the cure Jesus is the one that stirs the waters in our heart and makes us aware of a need that we don't have, of somebody we don't have, a need to reach out to something that we need, though we may not even identify what that need is and not for sure what we're reaching out after. Jesus drives the night away and dispels the gloom. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. Jesus cared. And Jesus cares about you, whoever you are, whatever your need, whatever your burden, whatever your confusion, whatever your problem. Jesus is the answer looking for a question. He is the solution looking for a problem. Jesus when he becomes the summum bonum of our life, the hub in the middle of the wheel of our life, expels all the night and the dross and those things that would keep us in our little selves. And he leads us to burst out from self to become the somebody that God wants to make us. Several years ago, there was a song that we Christians sang do we really care? Do we know how to share with people everywhere? Do we really care? I look around in the place where I live. I see people with so much to give, yet there are those who are dying to know just that somebody cares. 
I see people longing to know what they can live for and where they can go. We have the hope and the purpose to share. But do we really care? Will you take the dare, spread the good news everywhere, the cross of Christ to bear? Do we really care? Will we take that dare, spread the good news everywhere? People grope in darkness, searching for a way. Do we know of someone who we can help today? Do we really care? Well, when we really care, like Jesus cared, there are going to be some changes in our lives. Caring affects our living. Nobody is ever the same after we've cared. Nobody is ever the same internally. You see, caring affects us. Of course it affects others, but it affects us. Over in Second in First, First Peter, chapter two, verse nine, the Scripture says, "You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy." but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your behavior honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, may by your good works which they shall see, and behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Ye are a chosen generation. You're a holy people. You're a peculiar people. Why? that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The reason we're saved is not simply a fire insurance policy against hell. We're saved to serve. We're saved to love. We're saved to care. We're saved to be a holy generation, a peculiar people, that we should radiate the light of God. Dr. W.A. Criswell tells about the men who went to the moon our government spent millions and millions of dollars to find out what the moon was like and what was on the moon and why the moon was there. And so they, in spending all that fortune, and we should have done it, of course. We need to explore everything we can that God will allow us to get our, get our attention span on. But those men went and they searched and they searched and they walked on the moon and they scraped up things from the moon and they brought it back down. They put it in the laboratories and investigated to find out what the moon was made of. And then they revealed their secrets. They said why the moon is made of these little glass sparkling objects like silicon. And it's there and it seems to reflect light. Dr. Criswell said, I could have saved the American government millions of dollars by just turning to the Bible because the Bible says God put the moon there to reflect the sun to give light on the earth at night. And that's what our men in science have found, among other things. But that's the reason Jesus put us here. And we're to be made of the character of Jesus Christ so that when men behold us, they do not see us. They do not see our filthy rags. They do not see our ungodliness, our selfishness, our cantankerousness, 
our little old petty sins that trap us up and trip us down and lay our honor in the dust and make us a laughing stock to the world. No, we're to be so possessed and filled with God's Holy Spirit. When the world looks upon us, they see a reflection of the light of God. They see Jesus. And caring about a lost world, about somebody in need, about somebody who is destitute, about somebody who is pinched down, somebody who is crushed beneath the awful load of life. Caring affects our living. And we read in the Word of God how God wants us to live. But secondly, caring affects our praying as believers. When we really care, we're going to pray. You can't care for somebody that you don't pray for. Now I'm sure in the world there's a caring attitude. But even colloquially in the world, the Christian community has so influenced the worldly thinking that how often have you heard, even in the world, I'll pray for you or pray for me. People who are not even saved say that. And when some national figure dies on television and in the radio, we hear prayers. And it's common for announcers to say, so-and-so has requested that we pray. So much more believers, those who have been changed by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit, when we care, we pray. And prayer works. Prayer is the mightiest force in the universe. There is nothing more powerful, more potent than prayer. We have several nursing home services that are extension ministries of our church. Sometimes I visit some of the nursing homes. And there's one nursing home I go to every Wednesday. There's a precious little lady there that's been saved for many years. She used to be active in the WMU, and she was an association leader, and she was active in her church and faithful in all sorts of things. And I say to her often, I want you to pray. And she says, well, Pastor, that's all I can do now, just pray. I say, wait a minute. That's the most important thing you've ever done. That's the greatest ministry that could ever be accomplished, prayer. I wonder if we believe that. Prayerlessness is sin. We often speak of this sin and this sin and some other sin. But I wonder how many times we've really been convicted of the sin of prayerlessness. We don't pray enough. We don't plead with God. We don't intercede with God concerning matters. In Luke, in Matthew, in Mark, in John, in Corinthians, in Romans, in Timothy, in James, and on and on. The one seemingly heart cry that comes through the Gospels, the epistles, pray. Paul said, men ought to lift up holy hands in prayer. He said again, pray without ceasing. Jesus said, if two or three of you get together in my name, I'll be there. And he said, whatever you ask in prayer and faith believing, ye shall receive. John reminded us this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us, we know that we have the petitions we have desired of him. 
There are lots of kinds of praying. There's praise, telling Jesus and how much we love him. We do that when we sing. There's other kind of praying, intercession for others, where we plead with God before the throne of grace for somebody who's going through an awful trial or someone who's lost. Prayer works. Frank Lubbock, who was instrumental in helping people learn to read, wrote a book called The Mightiest Force in the Universe. He thinks of prayer as an energy. He says, we've just begun, we haven't even begun to tap the resource of what prayer really is. He said he used to take experiments in New York. He'd go on a streetcar, and he'd sit there and pray for somebody he'd never seen, didn't know anything about. He'd pray for that person. He said, invariably, that prayer energy went out to that person, and in ways that are past our understanding, that man or woman or child, whoever it was, would find some way of getting in touch by sight with Mr. Lubbock before he got off the bus. He said he would either turn and look at him or he would move toward the back of the bus where Mr. Lubbock was sitting and would glance at him, giving Mr. Lubbock an opportunity to speak to him before he got off the bus. He said that happened over and over and over again and it reminded Mr. Lubbock that prayer must be a type of energy that we haven't even begun to discover. Prayer moves and changes not only the one who prays, but things and people and conditions. And when we care, we pray. Oh, beloved, I have a heart cry in my own soul that God would lay upon my heart Two things, number one, to be urgent in prayer, and number two, to have a compassion for souls and people. That's my heart cry. And that's my prayer for our people. That's my prayer for Western University students. That's my prayer for God's people everywhere, that we would realize the energy, the power of prayer, because caring produces that kind of concern that leads us to pray. Abraham Lincoln said many times, I went to my knees because I didn't know where else to go. Have you ever been there? Have there been times in your life when you didn't know where to go? You tried to look up or out or around. You, you tried to deal with people and you tried to talk to people about a matter. And there was nowhere else to go but to prayer. God answers prayer. When we care, we pray. There's a third thing that prayer, that caring does. I believe caring affects our giving. The giving of ourselves, the giving of our substance, the giving of our means, the giving of our energy, the giving of our service. Caring affects our giving. Somebody said, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You think of that. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Jesus said, when you give a cup of cold water in my name, it'll not return void. When you bless somebody because you've given something of yourself, 
Jesus was walking in a crowd one day and somebody touched him. Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And the disciples said, well, well, well Lord, and they didn't mean to be ugly. They said, Lord, you must be out of your mind. He said, you're, you're surrounded by people. There are lots of people that touched you. He said, wait a minute, I know the difference in a touch and a touch. Somebody touched me. And what he meant was that somebody was reaching out to him. There were probably lots of people in the crowd that just brushed by him, but there was one woman that said in her heart, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And she did it. And virtue went out. Because he cared, he was able to give, meet the needs. We can do that too. Giving is affected by our caring. Giving our service. Giving our service in Sunday school teaching. When you really care, you can hardly stand to find a group of boys or girls that don't have a Sunday school teacher and say, well, I've done the work that I need to do. I can't do any more. No, the reason you teach, you precious teachers, teaching nursery children and preschool and primaries and juniors and youth, university, the reason you teach, it's not because you say, well, boy, I'm really something. I'm a good teacher or I know how to control everything, or I'll tell you, I've got so much to give, I just gotta give it out. No, the reason you teach is because you care. You find some group that needs you, and you say, Lord, I don't know how I can do it, but I don't even feel adequate. But if there's a need there, you could use me. Use me, because you care. We give our, his tithes and our offerings. Now, I know we do it because it's a command. I know the word of God says, will a man rob God, yet ye have robbed me? And the answer was, how have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there is not room enough to receive it. I know the word of God says that. And I know in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it says upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every child, every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. I know it's what God says. And we give because of command, but listen, when you give because you care, what a blessing, what a blessing. One of our ladies tells her, her testimony about learning to tithe. She went to her Sunday school teacher and said, uh, would it be all right if I, if I give God the tithe? I don't really want it. I don't want to really want to do it. I, I just don't want to in my heart, but, and I put it behind my back and I just sort of have to give it to him that way because I don't want to really give it. Will God use that? That wise Sunday school teacher said, <clears throat> said, yes, God will use it, but you won't get the blessing. You won't get the blessing. But when you give because you love, because you care, because of a world that is so desperately in need of God's love over in Africa, in Japan, Tack and Lana called the other day and they said, we have two more people to be baptized next Sunday, August 29th. They were rejoicing. It's not something that happens every day in their church. They said, we're thrilled. 
she, he said, they said, please tell the people at Glendale we appreciate the support through their tithes and offerings in the mission board. And when we realize the care of a world, people you've never even seen, you may never see till we get to glory, people whose lives have been moved closer to the cross, closer to Christ, moved toward, on the road toward heaven because you gave. You see, caring affects our giving. When we love, we give. Last of all, caring affects our going. The Scripture is full of stories of men who cared enough to, to go. <clears throat> there was a man who was very sick of a paralysis. Jesus came, the city was, all the city came out to hear him in that little house that he was preaching in. And uh, the, the crowd was so big that the man who was sick couldn't get in to the, to the first floor where Jesus was teaching and preaching. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to that man, arise, your sins are forgiven. Now it wasn't even the faith of that man. You see, we're saved not by our faith, but Christ's faith. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith that saves is not our little old flimsy, whimsical, up and down faith. It's his faith. And the scripture says when Jesus saw the faith of those men, Jesus' faith moved out to that man and said to him, arise and take up thy bed. And that man received the faith of the Lord Jesus and arose and began to walk. You never can tell how our caring affects the lives of others. We can't have the attitude, well, here's the church, here's the sermon, here's the radio, here's the television, and, and we, uh, we uh, have the message out on it, here's our Sunday school class, and, and we meet here every Sunday. Now come and get it, come and get it if you want it. We can do that. We'll reach a few people that way. But oh, listen, when we care enough to go, and we knock on some doors, risking some doors being slammed in our face, sure, what'd they do to Jesus? They called him all kinds of names. But when we go, not because somebody told us to go. We go not because it's a certain night when we're supposed to go, although I believe there ought to be a special night in the schedule when we schedule it for that activity. But we go because we care. We go because the love of Christ constrains us, pulls us along, and we go into a home and talk to precious people about the Lord. Dr. George W. Truett tells about preaching one day and one of his deacons got a burden on his heart for an agnostic attorney that was in town. Without saying anything to the pastor, the deacon stood at the door and as another deacon came back, 
He said, wait a minute, I want to talk with you. And another and another, they got six deacons together. After the morning service, they went into a room and got on their knees, and that man just shared his burden for that agnostic attorney. He said, I want to see him saved. And all six of those men got that man on their hearts, and they arranged a plan. They said, here's what we'll do tomorrow morning. Let's go and just tell that man we love him and we're praying for him and we want, we want him to come and hear our pastor preach. And so they arranged a plan. At 9.30, the first man went to that attorney's office, went in to see him a moment, just said, I want to come by and tell you that I'm praying for you. I'd like to see you give your heart to Jesus. And I'd like to have you come and hear my pastor preach. At 10.30, a second man went into that same office and said that same thing to that man. At 11.30, a third man went in and said the same thing. At 1.30 in the afternoon, a fourth, and then a fifth, and a sixth. And by the time that sixth man came in there, that attorney was indignant. He said, what do you men think I am? Do you think I'm a murderer or, or a drunkard or a thief or something? Why are you doing this? But the Holy Spirit began to do his work. He didn't come to church that night, but the next night he came, and the next night, and by Thursday night, that agnostic attorney had brought three other men with him, and before the week was over, that attorney was saved and six other men who were his friends. Why? Because somebody cared. Do we really care? Do we take time to share with people everywhere? Do we really care? That man sitting by the pool for 38 years, nobody to care. Then Jesus came. And when Jesus comes, everything has changed. And friend, if we find that our care has burned low, that our compassion has been dissipated, that we don't have it like we used to have it, get along with Jesus a little while. Everything's changed when he comes, takes possession, when you spend time with him. Because you can't be with Jesus very long until you find out how much he cares. He cares about you, you with disappointments in your life, you with disillusionments in your life, you who have been despondent or discouraged with yourself or with somebody else. Jesus cares and he wants to put the broken pieces back together in your life. And then, with that new care and love and concern, he'll send you back to bring others. Why? All because of Calvary. The Lord Jesus, who never sinned, went to the cross for my sins and your sins. He shed his blood. He died that we might be saved. For God so cared, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God cares. Do we care? Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With our heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, I wonder if you'd just let that thought go into your heart. 
Lord, do I care? Do I care like I used to care? Do I have the compassion for people, the love for people that I once had? Restore that to me, Lord. And friend, if you've never had that care at all, you've never been saved, you've never come to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to open your heart to him right now and let him have his way with you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that God cares over souls, that he, because he lives in our hearts through Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he, that we can care too. We pray that we might reach out with hands of love and care to those who need Thee. We pray that just right now, somebody in this auditorium who has never been saved will come to Jesus. And others who are God's children by faith will begin to serve You and love You. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come to thee. That's God's invitation. What's the hymn number, brother? 242. 242. Would you turn to that song, please? Number 242. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come to thee. Now listen to God's invitation. After you've found the page, would you look at me a moment? The invitation is number one. If you need to come to Christ, He cares for you. He loves you. He loves you more than we could ever describe in words. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come with your sins. Come with your sorrow. Come with your hurt. Come with your faith. Come with your lack of faith. But come. And when you come, He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll forgive you. He'll receive you. There are some who need to come again in recommitment of your life to Jesus. To say, Lord, I've had a leaky vessel. I one time was filled with the Holy Spirit and somehow I don't have that spiritual power I used to have. I want that again. There are some of you who need to come and move your church membership to this church and take a stand for God. Others who need to just be saved. You, you may not know how to be saved. Come and let us show you from the Bible how to give your heart to Christ. There may be somebody who felt God dealing with your heart saying, I need to have more compassion. I need to be a soul winner. Or I need to serve. I'm willing. I want to take hands off my life. I want God to use me. You come. There may be a Western student here today it needs to move your membership and have a home church in this city where you can serve the Lord. You'll find a church here that loves you and wants to be a friend to you. God bless you. As we sing, will you come?